Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. On a Tuesday morning in the third week of Advent, it's December 19, 2023. Great to be with you here on EWTN. And so we are going to get right to it. So I know there are so many questions heard from many of you yesterday, uh, and with good reason, because there was a very... Uh, well, I say important, but also very confusing uh, statement that came out of the Vatican yesterday that's raising a lot of questions. Where are we going? What does it mean? How does it play out locally in the various dioceses and parishes? And we're going to look at that in terms of the statement regarding the blessings that the Vatican says can be done now, but there are definite restrictions. However, it's confusing because it has to deal with couples and others in irregular situations, including same-sex couples. What does, again, all of this mean? So Dr. Matthew Bunsen, of course, you know him well from his great work at EWTN. He's also an American author of more than 50 books, historian, professor, and Roman Catholic theologian, who's going to try to kind of help us understand this in light of church teaching and how we react to this as Catholics. So it'll be a really important discussion. Matthew with us in just about a minute after I give you the rest of the show rundown for a Tuesday. And then we're also going to have Dr. Scott Hahn with us. It'll be a real treat as well. He's coming up at about 15 minutes past the hour. He's going to be, along with Kimberly, his wife Kimberly, one of our speakers at the beautiful retreat coming up in July, the Grand Hotel. We talked about that with Father John Ricardo. Last week will be our spiritual director, but Scott will also be commenting on a new book that's coming out from the St. Paul Center. Just kind of give us his take on, on the state of the world right now. It's always great to tap into his knowledge of the faith and all things Catholic. Then wrapping up, I think it's very timely. Last week, I I mentioned this to you. I sat down with our dear friend, Joseph Pierce, and he's written a new book published by our friends at Ignatius. It's entitled The Good, the Bad, and the Beautiful. And it's perfect for what we're seeing right now. It's The subtitle is History in Three Dimensions. And what he does is he goes back, and Dr. Bunsen knows all about this, and looks at the church and what we've been through over two millennia. And yet how the church not only survives, but in certain times strives and is able to address through amazing people that God gives us and address the situation in the world, but also grow. So much to discuss today on a Tuesday morning edition of Catholic Connection. Quickly, the weather across the country, we have lake effect snow expected downward of the Great Lakes with several inches of accumulations expected in higher elevations of the northern and central Appalachians. An active weather pattern across the west coast will bring rainfall for areas across the Pacific Northwest and California through much of this week. So we're treating our segment with Dr. Bunsen as our news segment this morning. And speaking of news, you may have seen him discussing this issue out of the Vatican yesterday on EWTN News Nightly. Last night. So, Matthew, thanks for joining us. And you have been very, very busy. Never a dull moment. Let's get a summary. First of all, explain to our listeners what came out of the Vatican yesterday. Thanks for joining us. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be here. We have to stress the word try to explain. Okay. Uh, in, in the sense that uh, this raises a host of questions. And, and I completely understand why many of your listeners and many of our viewers and readers are perplexed and probably a little confused. Mm-hmm. I, I say that. If for no other reason than because of the headlines that we have been seeing uh, playing out uh, almost from the moment that this was released. 
Uh, you can go from the New York Times, which talks about the, that the Catholic Church now allows same-sex blessings, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm referring to this in some ways as uh, this is who am I to judge 2.0. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is that uh, Pope Francis said something all the way back in 2013 that was taken almost completely out of context and used as this watershed moment by those who want to change church teaching. Mm-hmm. So I think that is sort of a preamble to some of the risks that are emerging out of this document. The point of this document, uh, and this is, uh, for those who aren't familiar with this, is a declaration from the Dicaster of the Doctrine of the Faith. In other words, it was a document that is supposed to clarify uh, some aspect of church teaching, which is one of the functions and the positive aspect of the Dicaster for the Doctrine of the Faith, what used to be the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, Therefore, it uh, is the next in what has been a flurry of documents from Victor Manuel Cardinal Fernandez, the Mm -hmm. recently appointed prefect. But we also have to stress, too, that this comes under the signature of Pope Francis, so it has his approval. And the point of this is uh, to try to clarify uh, pastoral meaning of blessings within the wider context of a number of questions that have apparently supposedly been posed to the congregation or this dicastery on who can receive blessings and under what circumstances. Okay, so basically saying that if they're blessing same-sex attracted couple, I'm taking this right from the Catholic News Agency article, they can bless them as an expression of pastoral closeness without condoning their sexual relations, but how do you separate that? That's what's so confusing for people. Well, this is uh, what this tries to do is to thread a needle. And what it tries to do is to create a very sharp differentiation between what it terms liturgical blessings and pastoral blessings. And this document goes to some lengths. In fact, the bulk of it is taken up with a theological study. Uh, I'll let readers read it and assess for themselves whether it succeeds in that, uh, on the meaning of various blessings. So it has liturgical blessings, in other words, those that are most associated with the sacraments and sacramental life. And then it tries to, from that, uh, be innovative. And it actually uses the word innovation uh, theologically, that we also have to expand, and uh, that's another aspect of this that I think is is worth noting, an understanding of blessings from a pastoral standpoint. Therefore, it uh, is a blessing that has, according to this document, no connection and cannot have a connection uh, to anything that would seem to confer uh, uh, an element that is proper to the sacrament of marriage. And there's a long list of things that it cannot be So, for example, this document restates very firmly uh, that marriage is the exclusive, stable, and indissoluble union between a man and a woman. It also rejects any formal type of a pastoral blessing that could create, as it, and the word it uses a lot here is confusion, uh, between what constitutes marriage and what contradicts it. It does not permit uh, any idea that this is validating the status of those who are being blessed. You cannot uh, also use a ritual uh, in any sense that would be for an irregular situation. It has to be simple and spontaneous. Uh, You cannot uh, give this blessing, again, 
simple and spontaneous within any context of a civil union. You cannot use any gestures or clothing or words that are proper to a wedding. And the whole point of this is not, as it says, to legitimize anything, but rather to open one's life to God. So the whole thing is predicated in much the same way as we saw with this Who Am I to Judge on God's loving mercy and this argument, uh, the contention that the church is a sacrament of God's infinite love. Therefore, when a person's relationship with God even is clouded by sin, that person can always ask for a blessing, stretching out, as this writes, his hand to God. Okay, so to me, and this is just me, but it sounds as if they're trying to appease people on both sides of the aisle on this issue. Okay, the people in the Senate who are pushing for this and, and those who, of course, know that when you cannot bless an irregular situation. But if you, if you can't bless it in an official form, what's the point? Why would one, one of the priests in the Archdiocese of Detroit said to me yesterday, we were texting back and forth, and he said, I don't know of anybody who comes up to me and asks for a blessing about a teaching with which they disagree. So that doesn't even seem to make any sense. Right. Well, a, a couple of things that have already been happening since this announcement, so what, it's 24 hours. Uh, the first is uh, the fact that uh, there are those on the progressive side uh, who are rejoicing at this, but already complaining, complaining. Mm -hmm. that it does not go far enough, that this isn't what they want, uh, because we know what they want. Uh, they want a formal change in church teaching to allow for same-sex unions to be validated and recognized sacramentally by the church, which the church is simply not empowered to do. We cannot do that. And this document itself says that marriage is the exclusive, stable, and indissoluble union between man and a woman. So they already they see this as the and, and, and part of the complaint is that it's an empty gesture as far as they're concerned, especially if a pastor and we'll come back to that in a second a pastor actually fulfills the the very specific requirements that are in this. It is not supposed to be anything that would be a ritual, right? So, so, so the deacon or the priest cannot be vested, or it's nothing formal, correct? That seems to be the case, uh, and. The, the, the challenge here is that uh, we're already seeing wholesale confusion among people. Catholics who have read this, who are trying to understand it, but then, as I was saying to you before we came on the air, people who are simply looking at headlines are either... Have, their heads are exploding or their hearts are broken. Right. Well, how many people did you hear from, as I did yesterday, what's going on? And I said, well, read the document. Many of them didn't. They see the headlines. And unfortunately, right. we know, you and I being in, in the media, that the research shows that most people don't. It used to be when I was in J school decades ago that they told us that, that people don't read first before or, or, or after the first lead paragraph. Now right. we know they don't read past the caption on the photograph or the headline or the tweet. And this is what is so damaging, because this is what people are left with, the well, And it's deliberately dishonest I know. Uh, in I know. the coverage. Right. Uh, I, I would single out, for example, the New York Times' uh, breathless headlines. Uh, we're also seeing what I think has been very unprofessional and journalistic, and I would argue deliberately uh, incorrect coverage on the part of many in the, in the progressive Catholic media right. who see this as something that it isn't. The other thing, and, and you've already hit on this, and this is, I think, going to be very important as this unfolds, and that is that we have seen a very clear pattern uh, developing with the pronouncements from Cardinal Fernandez, uh, the, again, he's the new prefect for the Dicastery of the Doctrine of the Faith, in his pronouncements that an immense amount of 
labor is now falling onto the shoulders of pastors Mm -hmm. who are being asked to discern what can be incredibly difficult situations. For example, uh, coming out of uh, Amoris Laetitia, pastors are now expected to help a couple discern if that couple is divorced and remarried without civilly without an annulment, are they presenting themselves for communion? We have pastors who are being asked to discern whether or not uh, a homosexual person uh, is qualified or suitable to be a godparent, and now uh, they're being asked uh, to take on this task of giving blessings if they're being asked, and I think we are likely to see uh, some pretty aggressive moves on the part of uh, those who are trying to advance a certain agenda in the church. Mm-hmm. Yep. And a pastor is being put in a, in a difficult spot here because if they refuse and grapple with their consciences, especially in situations in which they're being asked to do this, say, after Mass or something like that, are they going to be in trouble with their bishop? Are they going to be called out for so-called homophobia or being uncharitable? So there's a lot that falls now to the pastors and uh, as I said last night on News Nightly, I think we need, really need to keep our pastors in prayer. Well, what about a pushback from those in the church who obviously understand the issues and those who are going to be left with making these decisions? What about some local bishops? What about what, what is their response? Have you heard what the response is in the church? Yeah, well, the, uh, the USCCB issued uh, what Saw I thought that. was a, yep. a mm-hmm. very clear and swift statement mm-hmm. uh, clarifying and making it obvious that uh, this does not in any way change church teaching. And I think one of the the helpful things is that they hit, too, on uh, this important idea that at least the document is making of a very clear distinction between a pastoral blessing and a sacramental one. And I think we're going to see bishops. I know that uh, Bishop Cousins uh, from Minnesota, uh, who's also one of the key figures in the Eucharistic revival, came out very quickly with the statement uh, essentially saying the same thing and reiterating uh, what is possible and what is not uh, as laid out in this document. So I would imagine that we're going to see a number of bishops coming out, uh, not with clarifications, but with very clear statements about what is possible and what isn't. So before we let you go, I really appreciate you speaking with us, Matthew, this morning. Of course, talking with Dr. Matthew Bunsen from EWTN. Uh, how, how would you say that we as lay Catholics, how do we respond to this? And, and, and if folks have questions, people coming up to us, regardless of where they stand on this, how would you say we respond to this, do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think the first is to take the time to read the document. Yes, read the document. Yes. It's not that long. Read the <laughs> no, document. No, it's not. It, yeah. It's about 45 paragraphs. Uh, and assess what's being proposed here so that when questions are raised, and here we are just days away from Christmas, this is going to dominate, I think, a lot of the conversations around Christmas tables. I was just going to say that, yep. Mm -hmm. And know the facts. Uh, Take a look at uh, the the Catholic News Agency and the National Catholic Register, how we are framing these articles, because I think this is, I'm not self-congratulatory in any way, but I think we're one of the few outlets that has really looked at this and what it says and what it doesn't. Right. And be prepared for that. Uh, The other is, uh, understand uh, that, again, pastors are going to have this placed on them. So support your pastor. Uh, And especially pastors who want to follow this closely according to the terms of the document itself, not what they're being told or not what they're being pushed or bullied exactly. into doing. Well, that was my that was my thought, and 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 I have a friend who's a canon lawyer, and he was saying, well, they they, they have the part where it says this cannot be as you as you pointed out, in any in any way, shape, or form, 
related to marriage or anyone thinking that this is a blessing for any type of uh, legitimizing other irregular relationships, whether it's someone who is civilly remarried without annulment, there are different categories. They have at least that, that they could take, one would hope, to their bishop to say, I'm following exactly what the Vatican says. I mean, what else could they do? Right. And, and the document itself talks about what is the best context for this, and it says a visit to a shrine, a meeting with the priest, a prayer recited in a group or during a pilgrimage. It's not saying within a parish on a Saturday morning after right. Mass or right. as part of Mass. Right. So, I mean, it, it's... Fernandez, uh, Cardinal Fernandez uh, also mentions that this is the last statement he expects to make. Now, something tells me he's going to be getting a flurry of dubia or questions mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. this. Uh, especially from those who are not satisfied that this goes far enough, uh, or those who want to be clear, okay, what is the parish setting? Is there one for this? Uh, But I suspect that uh, he wants this to be the final word. Well, again, talking with priests uh, back and forth yesterday in Archdiocese, they're already predicting and waiting for people to show up asking for a blessing, and then marching with a camera in hand and want marching down to the diocese or the archdiocese and claiming that this or that didn't happen. So, right. again, we have to keep our pastors and our priests, our deacons in prayer. And, again, remember that the church is a church and the teachings on marriage cannot change, regardless of what someone wants or someone out there with an agenda is doing. Matthew, what's uh, what's coming up in terms of further coverage on this? Because I know you're still working on this big story. Yeah, well, anticipate uh, a number of articles uh, coming out from the registers and, and CNA as we uh, continue to look at uh, things like the coverage of this, uh, as well as some of the ramifications for this pastorally and, and theologically. So there's, there's a lot to unpack yeah. here. I, I would love to talk to you more in detail on another show with, uh, about mo- the way the media are covering this. Now, it, I was happy to see in my hometown, because I know a lot of the reporters here, that they did handle it, I thought, in a balanced way. Of course, I gave them the resources that they to be the best. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the people that I know are simple. orthodox. Yes, exactly, which helps. <laughs> and they trust me, so they, we were able to get some very good people on the air yesterday. But it's really important, media discernment, and how God's timing that this is a month where we're celebrating the 60th anniversary of Intermorifica. Just talked about that with Father Joseph Thomas, who did a terrific article for the Register, and we talked about that yesterday. So we have to discern wisely with the media, and we have to do our homework and go beyond the sensational headlines. Correct? That's right. And, and one last quote from this, I think, is worth hearing, and that is, that let's remember, as this document itself says that the Church cannot permit a liturgical blessing for same-sex couples because it would, quote, offer a form of moral legitimacy to a union that presumes to be a marriage or to an extramarital mm-hmm. sexual practice. That it's followed farther down, though, that such blessings, the pastoral blessings, are for those who do not claim a legitimation of their own status, but who beg for all that is true, good, and humanly valid in their lives and the relationships be enriched, healed, and elevated by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is something that all of us uh, should strive for ourselves. Amen. Dr. Matthew Bunsen, thank you so much. Wishing you a buon Natale and buon Capodanno, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we well, will be I talking. will be blessed. I'll be in Rome for Christmas. Oh, great. Enjoy. Pray for us, and we'll look forward to that and look forward to having you on very soon to, to work through more of this. Dr. Matthew Bunsen joining us live regarding the statement that came out from the Vatican yesterday. Dr. Scott Hahn up next on a Tuesday morning edition of Catholic Connection. What an honor to have Dr. Matthew Bunsen and Dr. Scott Hahn on with us in one program. 
amazing. And talking with Dr. Han during the break about everything that's going on with the Vatican, and we see these things coming out in the world, and we question, and we wonder, and, and we do this because we love the church, and we want to be faithful. But at the end of the day, the best thing that we can do to help ourselves and the church, and this is what we're going to be talking about with Dr. Han, is to build our own domestic church and to make sure that we are in a strong relationship with our Lord, following the church teachings, and then that impacts our family, which impacts the world. And so that's why we're so excited to have Dr. Scott Hahn and Kimberly Hahn speaking, along with Father John Ricardo, Father Josh Johnson. What a lineup for next summer for the Grand Hotel Getaway. And all the information is on my website under the event section, also at the Ave Maria travel page. Scott, great to talk with you. Happy Advent. Here we are in the third week of Advent. Uh, it really, I mean, challenging times right now, but again, all the more reason to focus on our relationship with the Lord and with each other, correct? That is absolutely correct. You know, when we hear the kind of news that you and Dr. Bunsen were discussing, it's so easy to give in to anger or anxiety or sadness, perhaps even nostalgia, but none of those responses are really constructive. And so what we have to do is pour our hearts out to our Lord in prayer, try avoiding pouring our hearts out in ecclesiastical gossip and detraction, which, you know, requires divine grace, and not a little, but a lot. At least it does for me. Maybe I'm the only one on the planet left who needs much more grace to deal with much more confusion, Mm -hmm. but I suspect not. And this opportunity that we share in July, I think, is a perfect example of how sometimes the best defense is a good offense, that what we really need to do is to present the faith in its fullness, you know, and to invite couples, to invite people who really do recognize the love of God that is meant to be lived out in their own lives, but how much we need additional grace to do so, and to to lift our hearts to heaven, to set our minds on heaven, and to kind of blow off the dust of the blow off the dust from the the sacred mysteries that we profess, that we believe, but that we often take for granted. Right. And sometimes you just have to get away to do that. And that's what this is all about in July. Now I know it's early on. I asked Father John McCarter the same question last week, but any any in addition to what you just mentioned, are you and Kimberly have a particular plan or something on what you're going to focus next year? We're still talking and praying about it. Um, I think what we want to do is to focus on how the family is the key to God's purpose and plan, that the heart of God is the heart of the Father. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see in the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And so, you know, we have our six kids, we have our 22 grandkids, we have our our Father Jeremiah, the son of the priest. But what we have is grace, mercy, you know, uh, we can't take credit for any of this. And I think to celebrate the grace of God and how it is poured out into our lives, you know, in different ways for different people, but it's always there. And we have to trust God, even when it's hard, especially then. I always think about something hit me a few years ago. We were on one of the first Good News marriage cruises, and you're going to be joining us in January. So excited to be able to see you twice in one year. That'll be such a treat. But we were sitting there during Mass, and when they have the Mass, they have this in the backdrop, they have this big screen that has the San Damiano Cross. And I was thinking about, I don't know what story was, was circulating at that point about problems in the church, and I was thinking and praying about it and asking for grace, you know, I had to get my Italian temper up. And I looked up at 
the San Damiano Cross, which I've seen in person many times, and I thought, oh, yeah, St. Francis had issues. St. Catherine of Siena had issues. They all dealt with a lot of issues out there in the world and in the church, but God provided, as he does always. More with Dr. Scott Hahn when we come back. One of our keynote speakers, Scott and Kimberly Hahn, at our Grand Hotel Getaway, July 22nd to the 24th. All the information at ctscentral.net or AveMariaRadio.net's travel page. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Catholic Connection. I can't think of uh, two better people to have on here with me today than what's going on in, in the church and in the world. Dr. Scott Hahn, of course, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and coming up after Dr. Scott, Joseph Pierce with his new book, which is really kind of all about what we're going through now and what we've been going through before. So I'm thinking there's a pattern here that the Lord worked out through the Holy Spirit and my producer in putting this show together. So, Scott, your book, Catholics in Exile, really, I mean, the t- it, isn't it amazing God's timing? It, when you're, something is put on your heart as a writer and then things happen in the world that relate to it after the fact, you're not even thinking about it at the time because you can't predict the future. But think about your book in terms of what's going on today. Well, you know, this book, Catholics in Exile, Biblical Wisdom for the Journey Home, I just, just recently published and I have often found in 37 years of being a Catholic that um, the best therapy is the truth, uh, but the sacred truth, the sacred mysteries. And so to realize that, okay, there are dark clouds, but there's still a sun shining over them. We are dealing with storms like we have never seen before right, in the Church. Right. But the Church has seen storms this bad and worse. And so the general reminder that God the Father is whispering, I think, into at least my ear, is that you're not home, that if you're praying, our Father who art in heaven, then the words our Father mean that we're his family. But if he's in heaven, well, we're not home yet. We're pilgrims. We're in exile. And once you redial it, once you recalibrate it that way, you're like, well, then suddenly things start to make a lot of sense. That if the King of Kings was here, and he was spat upon and maligned and falsely accused until he was tortured, then the mystical body of Christ should not be expecting some grand parade. The world is never going to welcome us, but the world will not prevail either. But in essence, at the end of the day, the world, whether it knows it or not, wants what we have. That's right. Yeah, I mean, the Catholic faith has a capacity to produce uh, a civilization of love like nobody else, like no other religion. But it also doesn't exist for that purpose. It exists for the purpose of producing saints. And once you, once you adjust that screen and say, okay, we're not here to produce just a perfect civilization, but saints, then you can see why God permits these situations where we find ourselves. But again, to, to, to realize that we are striving to be faithful, to live virtuous lives with our marriages and our families in the midst of all of our struggles, and yet we also feel certain degree of fear. We, we suspect that we might be targeted, canceled, or whatever. Well, what if I described the Holy Family in Bethlehem, striving to be faithful to live virtuous lives, and they're being targeted, and a thousand other episodes that we read about in sacred scripture. So we're still standing in the middle of the stream of the living water that we call salvation history. We're not spectators looking down or looking back on the past. We are in the midst of this historical drama that is a spiritual battle 
But at the same time, we know the outcome. Christ has triumphed. And this is so much more than religious rhetoric. This is the truth. This is the reality. And it's what we've got on our side. And these are pretty high cards to play. Yeah. We're talking with, of course, Dr. Scott Hahn. Uh, Scott and Kimberly are going to be guest speakers at the July 22nd to the 24th Grand Hotel Getaway. It's filling up quickly. Also, our spiritual director, the amazing Father John Ricardo, and will be blessed by the ministry and speaking of another wonderful priest, Father Josh Johnson. It's going to be uh, Father Josh Johnson. It's going to be an amazingly dynamic event in a beautiful setting, peaceful setting getting you away from the everyday and being with like-minded folks and just coming together as a family in prayer. And sometimes people think it does sound cliche or rhetoric or, oh, we have to do this and build up our own strength, but it's not. It's so true. Just last week, I was reading this beautiful homily. I don't know if you saw it, but it was given by, and Catholic News Agency wrote an article about it, and I actually shared it with my listeners, written by the amazing Cardinal Burke on the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And he was talking about the troubles in the world and the troubles in the church, and the fact that when Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared to San Juan Diego on Tepeyac Hill, that there were all kinds of crazy things going on back then, including the sacrifice, human sacrifices, and that the same thing that Our Lady was telling him is what she's telling us today. Do, do you not know I am your mother? And this whole idea of prayer, personal prayer, relationship with God, embracing the church, he, he went over this, I think, two or three times in that homily. So basic, but it's the same thing that we have to do all the time through history. You know, we were together with Cardinal Burke uh, to give him a Good Shepherd Award in Nashville at the St. Paul Center Gala last month, and so we got to spend a couple of days with him. And our friendship goes back over 20 years when he was first in La Crosse and had the idea of that shrine to Our Lady of Guadalupe, which I think ought to become a spiritual center for American Catholics mm-hmm. who are looking for a place of pilgrimage and prayer. But at the same time, boy, I tell you, that vision that he refers to, and when you read a book like Guadalupe and the Flower World Prophecy that shows how God prepared the Americas long before Our Lady of Guadalupe, so that when she appeared, so many tumblers sell, so many spokes converged in the hub of Our Lady there, you can see why the tomb was not only preserved, but this grace of conversion that comes from the Empress and the Patroness of the Americas. It's no hype. What Cardinal Burke does, I love the way he speaks, I love the way he writes, because I don't know how to stay calm when I'm excited. I don't know how to stay calm when I'm angry. He has such a sense of the peace of Christ. He's so peaceful. Yeah. Oh, Mm -hmm. we were so blessed to be with him. And that's the thing you get when you when you hear him speak, when you're around him. It's just, as you said, it's just peace. And what he said in that homily just makes so much sense. But again, as we mentioned earlier, people say, oh, it just seems so, so you know, uh, simple, and oh, the, the issue is so much bigger. But at the end of the day, no, it isn't, because we're all called to change. And if it's a change, and get closer to Christ in the church. And if you look at the history of all the saints... How did they change the world? They didn't change the world by just going out and, and you know, doing something. They, they, ha- they worked on their own relationship with God first, and that's what changed the world. They changed themselves, which changed the world. Does that make sense? You know, it sure does. I mean, back in the 4th and 5th centuries, when St. Augustine fought the heresy of Pelagius, this British monk who taught do-it-yourself sanctity, that you can become a saint unless you're really a weakling, then you have recourse to the sacraments. But he was lying to the monks, and that Pelagian heresy had to be crushed by St. Augustine. But it's perennial. I mean, it really does resurface, and especially, I would say, in America, 
where this sort of activist spirit forgets completely the fact that becoming a saint is humanly impossible. And with divine aid, with supernatural grace, it doesn't become automatic or easy. It becomes possible because it really is something that Our Lady accompanies on this journey. I know that that word accompaniment is sort of overused and hacking, Mm -hmm. but uh, nevertheless, we need to rehabilitate it because we need to realize that Jesus, the Logos, the Word made flesh, the divine mind that made and governed the universe, wants to be within our bodies and souls, our hearts, along with the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady. And again, pious platitudes, no siree. I mean, Teresa, you and I both know that we want to be saints, you know, much, much more than we want to be celebrities. We want to take as many people with us, but it's not enough for us to accompany people on the radio or in the classroom for me Mm -hmm. as a professor. We need Jesus to come to us. Amen. Scott, great to talk with you. Look forward to seeing you, God willing, on the Good News Cruise coming up in January, then again in July for the Grand Hotel Getaway. We have it at the AveMariaRadio.net travel page or through my website, TeresaTamio.com. Just go to events. It's right there. It'll link you right to the flyer where you may register. It's selling quickly. We hope you can join us. Joseph Pierce taking a look at church in history and why that's so important for what we're going through right now. Coming up. Always great to catch up with one of my favorite writers and just favorite people in the whole wide world, Joseph Pierce. His latest book from our friends at Ignatius Press, The Good, the Bad, and the Beautiful, A History in Three Dimensions, and the cover itself is absolutely beautiful. So a little overview of the new book, and again, we will put this on the archive section on our bookstore, and also you can get it through Ignatius Press, of course. Christ is a way in the truth and the life, but fallen mankind, although made in Christ's image, is not so pure. Human history, including church history, is a tapestry woven of three threads, the good, the bad, and the beautiful. And this book tells the story of Christendom over two millennia, focusing on what was good, bad, and beautiful in each century. You know, Joseph, I was just thinking about this. We were talking about, during the break, my favorite place, Italy, and you see so many saints there who dealt with this exactly, especially St. Francis, right? In church history, we see these saints who come in these difficult times, and they're dealing with the good, the bad, and the beautiful. So I, I love this title, and I just think it's so important to bring this to people right now. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure always to join you. And, and yes, you're, you're completely right about history. We need to understand the past in order to understand the present. And, and obviously we live in, in dark times at the moment, and we have to understand that there have been many, many dark times in the past. This is not anything unique. How do we balance that? Because we know, if anybody knows anything about their faith, and I think most of our listeners understand that, but sometimes it feels like you're, not you, I'm using the pronoun you just generally, that if we say that, we're kind of poo-pooing the issues that are out there right now. But but I don't see it that way. I see it as pulling back and looking at the big picture and trying to get some perspective on how we deal with things today, looking back at how they dealt with it in the past. Exactly. Basically, what the past enables us to do is to see where we've been, and we have to know where we've been to know where we are. Um, We have to know where we are to know where we're going. So the past is absolutely essential for our understanding of the present and the future. So the other thing we have to understand, first of all, of course, that history is human, which means it's it's going to always be made up of that which is human. And and, and throughout history, Caesar, uh, the secular power, has always had more power than 
than, than the church, the mystical body of Christ. Christ himself said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So if you look at, if you look at this, this, this uh, time-woven tapestry of history of the good, the bad, and the beautiful, you see that the bad, normally in terms of politics, have most of the power. The good, as often as not, are outnumbered and outgunned, um, but they're like candles in the darkness that show us the goodness, truth, and beauty of the cosmos. And, 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 every, and in every century, we have these beautiful works of art and music and literature, which, which give testimony to the presence of the good, the truth, and the beautiful. And most important of all, the whole of time, the whole of history, pays itself out in God's presence. There's no past and no future for God. Everything is in his presence. So the, the, the 12th century, the 13th century, you mentioned the past of Assisi, the 13th century, the 21st century are all being played out in God's presence with the final victory already, already won and assured and already being lived by the saints in the church triumphant in heaven. So walk us through the book, if, if you will, a little bit more in terms of breaking it down, because I know highlighted in this book is, is the amazing gift that we had in Benedict Sixteenth. Yes, well, he, he, some words of his were the actual inspiration for the whole book, the whole, the whole idea of the book. Uh, uh, the wonderful Pope Benedict XVI said that in, in, in the final analysis, the only defense for the Catholic Church are the, are the great saints that she's inspired uh, and, the great, and the great works of uh, beauty that she's also inspired. So in other words, the great saints, the good, and the great works of, of, of art, the splendor of the beautiful. So... Those two things are what, if you like, are either side of, of what's left, which is the bad. Um, and we need to see history in terms of that. So the book itself, it begins with the gospel, showing how, if you like, the whole of the pattern of history, the template for the pattern of history is laid out in, in the gospel narrative, that, that basically Christ and his followers will be persecuted, that Caesar uh, has the political power, that but then you have, the, 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 as well as Caesar, you have Judas, that within the church... You have the heretics, you have the traitors, you have the corrupt. So basically, throughout history, we see the gospel being played out again. And the book itself then has one separate chapter for each of the 20 centuries uh, with sections on the good, the bad, and the beautiful. Uh, how much in terms of what's happening in our world today, Joseph, with the, the very upsetting political situation we have in this country and around the world and, and so much confusion in the church, was this the impetus for the book? Because you've written so many books in the past. Yes, I think it was, that was certainly part of it. It's inspired by those wonderful words of Pope Benedict. I wanted to give hope to, to my own time by showing my own time, showing the, the, the 21st century, how it needs to understand itself in, in the light of the 20 centuries that came before it. Um, and so, yes, I, I, I did want people to see that basically history is a, a, is a tapestry of these three threads. And those three threads run through all 20 centuries and now into our own 21st century. And, you know, the dark is always going to be there. Heaven is not on earth, it's in heaven. Uh, and all that we have to do is to, is, is to be good and faithful servants and soldiers of Christ for our active tour of service, uh, of duty, uh, during our, our three score years and ten, and, you know, our, our earthly lives, so that we may actually cross the finishing line into the victory that's already been won. Amen. Talking with Joseph Pierce about his latest book, The Good, the Bad, and the Beautiful History in Three Dimensions, published just recently by Ignatius Press. It hit me one time, many times, but especially a few years ago, we were on the uh, the Good News Cruise, my husband and I, and, and there was something, I forget which story it was, that was particularly troubling, troubling that came out of Rome. And we were we were at Mass, and we're on the ship, and the image that they always have when we have Mass is the image of the San Damiano Cross. And I'm sitting there and praying during Mass, and all of a sudden I look up at that cross, which I have seen many, many times in Assisi, of course, in, in the Basilica of Santa Chiara. 
and it hit me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> St. Francis dealt with the same stuff that we're dealing with today. Yeah, and exactly. And even in the, the, the 13th century, the, the century of St. Francis is often seen as the, the, the best and the greatest. And obviously there were wonderful things, not least of which was St. Francis himself mm-hmm. and St. Dominic at the same time. And of course they inspired the great philosophers such as Bonaventure and Thomas Aquinas. It was the age of Gothic architecture. That's all wonderful. But you know, we have to remember at the beginning of the 13th century, the church was in a complete mess. That's why God sends these great saints to St. Francis and St. Dominic to renew a church which, which was actually uh, it, it corrupt uh, and moribund that needed renewal and revival, and it came through those two great saints and their consequences. You know, and, that, and then the following century, you know, we're back in the same mess again. At the beginning of the 14th century, there, at one point, there was the papacy is expelled from Rome and is in Avignon, and there were three different people claiming to be pope at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the church, you know, has, has had many crises, and as G.K. Chesterton says, that the church, uh, like Christ, has died. And the church has died many times, but it's risen again from the dead because it, it worships a God that knows the way out of the grave. And that's what we have to realize, that, you know, that in every age there are challenges. In every age the, there, there were, there's the Judas in the church, there's the Caesar trying to crush the church. But there were always the saints um, that are called by Christ and provided for us at these crucial moments to deliver us from evil. So why do we spend so much time then on the bad, do you think? Is it just human nature? I think it is human nature. Obviously, we're fallen and, and, and broken persons, but I do think it's bad for us to actually dwell too much on the darkness. Now, we, you know, we, we, should, we should be looking towards the light. We have the light of Christ himself, of course, and his, and his blessed mother, but we do have the, the light of the church triumphant, of, of, of the numerous, you know, the thousands of saints that have gone before us that, that light the way for us. They're the candles in the dark. And we really should be concentrating on that light in it, that light within the dark and not in the dark itself. Do you think, and I know this is probably one of the reasons you wrote the book, do you think we, as I know you're a convert, but cradle Catholics, I kind of feel like we're the spoiled kids on the block. We grew up with all this incredible history, all these saints. We have the images, we have the statues, you know, we see them in our schools, We, especially baby boomers my age. But so few take them off the shelves and study them. And I, I love to do that. I've written a whole book about the saints, girlfriends and other saints. So I totally agree with you. I think we're getting better. What do you think? Yeah, well, I, I think one thing is as, as times get dark, uh, I think I think that the, the saints, sort of the, the, the light that comes from the holiness of the saints shines more brightly. And we're called to them and we're attracted to them. And we certainly don't take them for granted because we need their help. So I do, I do see, I do see within the within the church uh, itself, amongst the rank and file, the laity, uh, uh, this this. Um, I, I, well, I, I think the right word for it is a revival. I think we see a revival in authentic Orthodox Catholic worship, and of course includes veneration and praying to the saints. I'm so glad you're you're focusing on um, beauty and art, because I think that's so important. We're talking, by the way, with Joseph Pierce. His latest book is The Good, the Bad, and the Beautiful History in Three Dimensions, published recently by Ignatius Press. One of the things that I love to to watch when I say this all the time, when Deacon Dom and I lead pilgrimages, or if we're just over uh, wherever, whether we're in Poland or Italy or Israel, when you see people lined up at these various museums and these various places, such as St. Peter's, or they're going into the Vatican Museums, for example, we don't know where those people are, if they have any faith, if they maybe are just an art student or an art aficionado and they want aficionado, they want to see the Pieta or they want to see the Baldacchino or they want to see the Sistine Chapel. But my prayer is that the beauty, the sheer beauty of the art will reveal to them 
the the one behind it and that is god who gave those artists the gifts to do this and to me that's why art is so important because wherever we are in the world with whatever crisis we're facing when we look at beauty then we, we it does i think transcend us if we're open Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. And the example I often give is of Michelangelo's Pieta in St. Peter's in Rome. So we know that millions of people cross the threshold in St. Peter's Basilica as tourists. Not, they're not all pilgrims. I mean, they're just tourists that, that perhaps have no faith whatsoever. But when they, when they turn to the right as they walk, walk into mm-hmm. the Basilica and see Michelangelo's statue of the mother of Christ cradling her crucified son... There's something both human and divine in the beauty of that. And when people see that, their hearts and minds are lifted up. And that's a, that's a definition of prayer, to have our minds and hearts lifted up to God. So even if these people don't know who God is, the very right. fact that, 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 that beauty is causing them to lift up uh, their, their hearts and minds is something which is leading them closer to God. They're seeing the presence of God in the beauty itself. And, of course, in a statue like that, is telling a story which they even even the most agnostic people have a, a basic idea of this innocent man who was killed and is now being cradled in, in the arms of his mother. I and mean, that's going to touch people on a purely human level, and that leads them in the right direction. With over two millennia to deal with in church history, with the good and the bad and the beautiful, how did you decide? I mean, how, I mean, how much? There's so much you could have included in this book. That was the biggest challenge, because what I wanted to do was to provide a book that was user-friendly, and, you know, and, and that means I wanted to keep it to you know, 60 or 70,000 words, so that 200 or so published pages. So, of course, if you have you know, 20, 20 centuries to deal with, you know, and you only want it to be about 200 pages long, you've only got about uh, you know, the t- 10 pages per century. So uh, I, I wanted to include the good, the bad, and the beautiful. All of a sudden, you've only got three or four pages of each of those things. Mm-hmm. So it was a challenge. Of course, I, what I had to do was to, to, to hit the highlights, and even when hitting the highlights, just you know, put the things in context. I, I had to resist the temptation to go into too much depth and too much, um, uh, too much depth, uh, too much length, because I didn't have that, 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 that freedom. But what I hope is what it does do, and therefore, is allow people to see the whole picture, the whole panoramic landscape of human history since the time of Christ, you know, in a, in a very accessible way. And then, it, of course, I'm inviting them, if you like, to go deeper into any one particular saint, any one particular century, that that intrigues them or interests them as they read. But um, mine's an introduction to the whole picture rather than going deep into any one particular part of it. Joseph, thank you. Thank you for another great book and for giving us hope in in the midst of uh, much darkness in our world, but we always know that we have the light of Christ. And the best thing we can do is to improve our relationship with God and within our own family and then take it from there. The book is The Good, the Bad, and the Beautiful, A History in Three Dimensions, of course, by our friend Joseph Pierce. You know him well from his many books, his lectures. You've seen him on EW Chan. He's the author of numerous literary studies, including Literary Converts, The Quest for Shakespeare, and Shakespeare on Love, as well as several biographies including Oscar Wilde, J.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, and, of course, Chesterton. Joseph, God bless you. Thank you for all you do. And I do hope that we can do that pilgrimage uh, to England sometime, a Catholic tour of England. That's still on my bucket list with you. That would be wonderful, Teresa. Always great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. I come from the other side of the tracks. My uncle used to have slot machines. Put one nickel in and it's emptied. 
And I brought him home in a bag. And my mother looked at me. Where did you get all that money? I said, I won him. You didn't win him. He fixed the machine. I didn't care if he fixed the machine or not, you know? EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. I hope you know how much we appreciate your listenership here at the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, as well as the Ave Maria Radio Network. And we always say we are all about the resources. So just remember, anything you hear daily on this show, you can check out. You can go to, for example, the EWTN Religious Catalog through EWTN.com. You may also go to the archive section of Catholic Connection at AveMariaRadio.net. And all the resources are there for you. This is also a great way, by the way, to witness. Sometimes if you're challenged by a friend or a loved one on a particular topic and you hear us talking about an issue, right, that has come up, especially, right, over the holidays or a special occasion, you can go to or tell your friend or family member with whom you're discussing something to go to one of these sites and to listen to a program, or you can send them to the link to the program and they could hear it for themselves. That's why we call Catholic Radio part of being a member of the shy evangelist family, right? Because we do the evangelization for you and you can pass it on. We'll talk to you in the next edition of Catholic Connection. Thanks again for listening. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.